Let's stand together, and uh, we're glad you're here. Welcome. Uh, by the way, I'm Todd, and I'm the lead pastor here at Glad Tidings. I was supposed to do that earlier, but I forgot. I was trying to remember Joel's name and the twins' names. I could hardly remember my own. And uh, we are in the book of 1 Corinthians today. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 to 11. Now, um, if you are new to Christianity or new to the Bible, uh, the best way to do this is actually uh, go about um, two-thirds through the Bible. You'll come to the New Testament. And then there are four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Then there's the book of Acts. Then there's Romans. And then it's 1 Corinthians, chapter 12. But it's going to be on the screen for you. If you've got a device, you know how to do that. And so this is our third installment on spiritual gifts. And next Sunday morning, we'll wrap it up with our fourth installment. And for those of you that weren't here last week or missed it, um, there is a spiritual, a, um, a spiritual gift inventory on the internet. And uh, you can go to uh, www.gtsudbury.ca slash gifts, and you can take the inventory there and get a feel for what your spiritual gift might be. So let's read together. I'm reading the pink, and you're going to read the white, and this is what it says now. Concerning spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. Now there are ver a variety of gifts. Now notice this. There are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, and to another interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Beautiful. Let's pray together. Father, we love you, and we thank you for your love for us that you have demonstrated so vividly in Jesus Christ. And we thank you for the work and the ministry of the Holy Spirit that takes everything that you've accomplished in Jesus and makes it applicable in our lives and available in our lives. And so we ask now for the help of the Spirit to have a voice to speak, to have ears to hear, minds to comprehend, hearts to understand, and particularly when we leave this place today, that we'll go out into our homes and our neighborhoods and the places we play and the places where we educate and the places where we work and all the other places that, is that we do and get our services, Lord, that we would live out in tangible, physical, meaningful ways what it means to be followers of Jesus Christ. And in his name, and for his name's sake, in his sake alone, we ask these mercies. Amen. Why don't you be seated? So let's begin this morning with a, a brief review. And uh, we talked about the spiritual gifts um, uh, over the last couple of weeks. And by definition, a spiritual gift, a spiritual gift is a natural, supernatural ability. 
And I know that may sound contradictory, but it isn't. It is a natural, supernatural ability. It enables a believer to perform a function in the body of Christ that which we could not do otherwise or as effectively without the aid or the assistance of the Holy Spirit. Now, two things we want to keep in mind is this. First of all, that the spiritual gifts obviously are spiritual in origin. In other words, they are given by the Holy Spirit and they are empowered by the Holy Spirit. And the second thing we want to keep in mind is that the gifts are spiritual in essence, that they are gifts of the Holy Spirit. And they are to be uh, differentiated between natural talents and abilities. And as we said also uh, a couple of weeks, and we think we said it last week as well, that everybody in the world is born with natural gifts that have to be developed and have to grow. And the same thing is true when we are born again, when we are brought into the kingdom of God and are regenerated. Everybody gets at least, every Christ follower gets at least one spiritual gift. At least one. Some get more, but at least everybody gets at least one. Now, here's where I want to go this morning. I want to talk about the three categories of gifts in the New Testament. They fall into three different categories, and here they are. The first group is those that are resident in the church. Those that are resident in the church. And of course, for those of us that are familiar with the Bible, we know that it's in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 and 12, that we hear the words, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Now, these five, of course, which are apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, and for those of you that are really in the know, you know that there's some question around whether pastor, teacher is one gift or it's two gifts, and we're not going to kind of mess with that. We'll just kind of be, be that as it is. But these are five gifts that are resident in the church. Every church has these five gifts. And they are given for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, but understand that they are used, they are used at the will of the individual. So, for example, I have the gift of pastoring, and I don't know, I hope the gift of teaching. And uh, the moment ago I gave you a definition that it is natural, supernatural. This is what I mean by it. I know that what God does in me and through me is beyond me. Um, I have some natural abilities, uh, like everybody else, but the, the gift of pastoring and teaching, uh, pastoring and teaching sort of comes naturally, but it's supernatural. All right? Now, the second group that we're talking about is the, what we call the gifts that are resident in the individual. Gifts that are resident in the individual. Now, there are probably more than is recorded in Romans chapter 12, verses 6 to 8, but these are gifts that are resident in you and me as Christ followers. Remember what I told you. These are different from natural gifts. These are spiritual gifts. They are given by the Holy Spirit, and they are given to every, every at least one of us, at least, sorry, every person in the body of Christ has at least one of these. And this is what Romans says. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. 
if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts or encourages in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Now, these six gifts, seven gifts rather, prophecy, service, teaching, exhorting, giving, leading, or governance, if you will, and showing mercy, these are gifts that are resident in you and me as an individual. So, for example, you may have a gift of mercy. Or you may have a gift of serving. Or you may have a gift of teaching. Or you may have a gift of encouragement. These are gifts that you can use at your will. At your will. You can administer your uh, gift of showing mercy or your gift of contributing. You can do that at your will. Because they are gifts that are resident in us as individuals, as persons, as people. And then thirdly, and this is the group that we want to focus our attention on this morning, the third group are the gifts of the Spirit that are resident in the Holy Spirit. These are the gifts that are resident in God, and this is where our text in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 to 11, that's what our text talks about. Now, very important to understand that these gifts are not used at the will of the individual of me and you. These gifts are used at the will of the Holy Spirit. And he gives them to someone to use in a time that is appropriate and a situation that he determines is the place that they are supposed to be exercised and used. And they are nine. Wisdom, or the word of wisdom, the word of knowledge, faith, healing, working of miracles, prophecy, distinguishing of spirits, tongues, and interpretation of tongues. Now, again, these are gifts that are resident in the Holy Spirit. They are resident in God. The Holy Spirit chooses when and where and whom they are expressed in and through. Now, there are times that a gift of one of these nine, the gifts that are resident in the Holy Spirit in our text, that God could prompt one, two, three, five, ten people in this room to give a message in tongues. So, for example, Leanne, Dr. Leanne this morning, gave a message in tongues and interpretation. Now, I suspect that there were other people in the room this morning that you also would have been able to give that message in tongues. But that message in tongues was given through the choice of the Spirit. Dr. Leanne didn't decide that this morning she was going to, going to come to church and that she was going to give a message in tongues and interpretation. No, she did so because the Spirit willed it. That's how that works. And there are times when the Holy Spirit uses one person specifically. Now, here's something I need you to put in your filing cabinet. No one, no Christian, no believer, no Christ follower has any of these nine gifts. To, uh, contrary to popular myth or opinion is that somebody can have, for example, the gift of healing. Nobody has the gift of healing. 
The gift of healing is resident in the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is the one who decides when and where and, to, and through whom the gift of healing is going to be expressed. Now, with that said, let me add this. However, there are some people in the body of Christ that are more open to and more susceptible to using different gifts. For example, uh, Stuart here, may be very open and susceptible to using the gift of healing or the word of faith or a word of knowledge. Other people in the room may be more susceptible and open and available to the gift of the message in tongues or interpretation. Does that make sense? Okay. Now, so our focus this morning is this third category, the gifts that are resident in the Holy Spirit. And uh, there is, uh, I, I, I like to refer to them as the magnificent manifestations. The magnificent manifestations. Because verse 7 says, to each there is given the manifestation of the Spirit. Now, notice two things there first off is that it's of the Spirit. They are resident in God. They are resident in the Holy Spirit. He chooses when, where, and through whom they are exercised. But manifestation is a great word because manifestation comes from the Latin word manifestus. And manifestus literally means that which may be laid hold of by the hand. Now, what that really means is that they are manifestations of the Holy Spirit that you and I can actually use or be used in is probably a better term. We can be actually that it's a wonderful thing in the body of Christ that God has built a kingdom that we get to be involved in, that we get to participate in. God doesn't need us. If God needed us, he wouldn't be God because God don't need anything or anyone. But God has chosen to build his church and his kingdom, and he welcomes us and invites us to be co-laborers, to partner, and to participate in what he is doing in the world. And the manifestations are one of the ways that we get to be used by the Holy Spirit. And I'm grateful that the Holy Spirit actually uh, was gracious enough to give us this message in tongues this morning because it's a great illustration that Dr. Leanne was used by the Spirit. But it was natural, supernatural. The tongues thing and the interpretation is supernatural, but it was her voice, it was her mouth, and it was her brain that said, I'm going to be available and open to the Spirit. That's the natural part. Natural, supernatural. And then notice what it says in verse 7. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit, and this is very important now, for the common good. For the common good. Spiritual gifts are not the goal. Just like speaking in tongues in Acts chapter 2 is not the goal. The gifts are a gateway. They're a vehicle for the glory of God to be revealed in the gathering of the church and for the common good of those gathered. Let me say it again. Spiritual gifts are not the goal. They are the gateway or the vehicle for the glory of God to be revealed in the gathering of the church for the common good of those gathered. All right? 
We're good? Okay. Now, let me talk to you about the nine. Now, what I love about the Bible every now and then is the Bible sets things up for great structure for preaching. And the great thing about the nine gifts is that they actually set into three sets of three. Three sets of three, and I just really like this. So the first set is the gifts of revelation. Now, what we're talking about here is the word of knowledge. Now, the word of knowledge is an understanding of the things of God for a specific time and place. Um, The ability to glean information and knowledge that is not discernible or gatherable by our intellect, by our senses, or by our learning. It is what we call supernatural knowledge, where God, by the Holy Spirit, gives somebody a knowledge or information that is pertinent to a given situation and circumstances, or in some situations, a person. Paul says this, He says, now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things, sorry, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God, and we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. We see this example in the life of Jesus in Luke's gospel where it says, For I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. Now, I have seen this word of knowledge used in a couple of really good situations and in a really bad situation. The first one is um, there was a church, and the church will remain nameless, and this was now... 35 years ago, there was a church who was going to build a new facility, millions of dollars. And on a Sunday morning, there was a word of knowledge from a lady in the congregation. And she said to the congregation, to the, and I'm I'm just kind of ad-libbing here, paraphrasing, she said to the congregation, it is not the Lord's direction for us to build a church and relocate. And it was a word of knowledge. Now, that is not always the case because we built here and it's fine and lots of churches do that and it's right to build and grow and all that kind of stuff. That's not the point. But here's the point. In that particular situation, that was almost, that was 35 years ago, and as far as I know, the church is still paying off the mortgage and the church is down to a couple of hundred people. I was in another service one Sunday morning where a lady, another lady, got up, and there was a situation going on. I didn't know what the situation was, but she gave this word of knowledge for a a family about just insight into the situation. And it turned out that the word of knowledge was incredible. Now, I'm going to balance that with some things in just a moment, so just hold on to that. But here's where it can go bad. I was at Brayside Camp 
when I was in youth ministry, which is about 900 years ago. And there was a prominent youth evangelist who took it upon himself to operate in the word of knowledge to these teenagers. And he would go through the, the room is full. I mean, there are like, like 900 kids in this room. And he'd go through the room and he would point out kids and he'd say, God has called you to pastoral ministry. You need to go to Bible college. You need to go to Bible college. You, God has called you for this. And out of that summer camp, a dozen or 15 or so kids went to Bible college who God had never called to Bible college. And many of those 12 to 15 kids were so disillusioned with ministry and with Christianity and particularly with the working of the Spirit that it actually damaged their faith. Now, that's highly problematic. Now, let's move on. So we have the word of knowledge, then we have the word of wisdom. Now, the best way to understand the word of wisdom is this. The word of wisdom and the word of knowledge go together, as I understand. The word of wisdom is given by God to help us incorporate and put the word of knowledge to use. The word of wisdom helps us put the word of knowledge that is given to us to wisdom. Now, the other thing I want to say here is this, just as a caveat. I believe, now in the church, in Pentecostal churches, in this church, in the church I pastored before and the one before that, when we talk about the gifts of the Spirit, we usually are talking about three. We're not talking about nine. We should be talking about nine, but we only talk about three. Tongues, interpretation, and prophecy, and I'll get to those in just a second. Now, the Bible tells us that there are nine gifts of the Spirit that are resident in the Holy Spirit. Now, I believe that the gift of knowledge, the word of knowledge, or the utterance of knowledge, or the message of knowledge, and the word of wisdom operates more than we really understand. I believe that parents can have a word of knowledge for their children. And they can have an accompanying word of wisdom to go with that word of knowledge so they not only know what the problem is, but they know actually how to apply. So I'm just going to let that float out there and leave it with you. The third one is pretty simple of the revelation gifts, and that is the discerning of spirits. We know, of course, that there are only three spirits in the world. There is God's spirit, there are human spirits, and there are demonic spirits. And I tell you, folks, um, I have been in situations, in church situations, where I have seen all three at work simultaneously. And when we are discerning of spirits, what we're discerning is a behavior is of God, or is the behavior of the devil, or is the behavior just human. And sometimes it's hard to tell between what is the spirit of God and what is the spirit of a person, human being. That's hard to tell. That's why we need discerning of spirits. Someone once said cutely about preachers that a lot of things says, is said under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. That's not. So understand that we're talking discerning of spirits. Is it of God? Is it of the devil? Or is it of man? And then we come to the gifts of supernatural power. The gifts of supernatural power are, first of all, healing. Now, the gift of healing is the ability for God to use us in a way where we pray for somebody or we have faith and that person is healed. And they're not healed because of my great faith 
or my great prayer, they're healed because the gift of healing has been made known and manifested by the Holy Spirit. Let me give you an example. Two. In our first church, I was a youth pastor, and uh, one of the things that was required of us from time to time is when people came forward for prayer, that the pastoral staff all had to be there and pray for people. And so on this particular Sunday morning or evening, I can't even remember what it was, now this lady came forward, and I tell you, folks, it was cooking. Like it, the, the, I mean, the whole service was just cooking. You could, you could consciously be aware of the Spirit. And I'm thinking to myself, wow, this is going to be some evening or morning, whatever it was. And this lady came forward. And um, so uh, she came forward and, to me, and so I laid my hands on it. And I tell you, folks, I was all over it. I was using words and phrases that I knew were smarter than me. And I was praying. I was thinking, whoa, man, I am really good this morning. But I recognize that it's smarter than I am. This is the Spirit of God praying through me. And I'm thinking, wow, if there ever was a person who's going to get healed, it's going to be this lady today. Found out later, not a thing changed. She died. So you want to be careful if you ask me to pray for you. No, but. But. A few weeks later, maybe a few months later, I don't know what the time frame is. It was just a typical, ordinary flat morning, evening service. I don't even know what it was. We had both in those days. And again, it was a lady who came forward. And of course, it was, you know, I don't know, I think the pastor just decided that Bill Morrow decided we'd do an altar call because nothing else was happening in the service. And um, so this people came forward and blessed their hearts for faith and uh, came forward. And this lady came forward, and I was standing there, and of course, I got the anointing oil, and, uh, anointing oil out, and I, I anointed her with oil and prayed for her, and I'm thinking, folks, I felt nothing. Like, we're talking about sawdust. Like chalk in your mouth. I couldn't put two words together. I didn't even make sense. I didn't even know what I was praying. Three weeks later, we found out that she was miraculously healed. It's the gift of healing. The gift of healing does not fluctuate by whether my socks roll up or down when I pray for people. Or yours. The gift of healing comes... Because it is administered by the Spirit, and He chooses when, where, and through whom the gift of the Spirit is going to be exercised. I told you this story about my dad, right? I got saved when I was about 19, about three, six months into my journey of faith. Uh, it was a Wednesday night, and my dad, who hadn't been given to a lot of illness, came down, had been coming down with these migraine headaches. And, uh, and suit to the point that he would become just absolutely debilitated. He would have to lay on the couch or in bed. And all he could do was empty his stomach. And, um, and this went on for, I'm, I'm thinking, a, a, some weeks, maybe some months. And um, this particular Wednesday evening, I remember it was a Wednesday evening because it was prayer meeting night at our, my home church. And now just remember, I've only been a Christian now three, six months. I grew up in this thing, but I never did anything. Okay? I never prayed for anybody or prayed out loud anywhere. And uh, so actually, let me, let me finish the intensity. The intensity of this migraines were so great that 
uh, my dad was going to lose his license and he was supposed to go to the health science complex in St. John's, Newfoundland so that he could be, do the whole testing and all that kind of stuff. So I kind of give you some background. So I'm on the phone trying to get a ride to go to, to uh, Bible study and prayer. And my dad says to me, as I hang the phone up, I just put the phone on the wall. We had cord phones in those days. And I don't mean, I mean, just so we know what we're talking about. And uh, so he, uh, he says to me, Todd, you're going to have to pray for me. I can still feel the emotion, so just forgive me for a second. I'll get it together here. Um, and he said, you're going to have to pray for me. And, and I'm thinking, I, I, I have my hand on the phone, and I'm thinking, you've got to be kidding me. And I said, okay. Hang on. So I went over to the couch. And, and I did what I saw the evangelist, our pastor, do. I put my hand on his forehead. And when I did, something exploded. It exploded in me. I started praying in tongues, and I could sense the presence of God. And my mom, when I finally came to, so to speak, I noticed that my mom had come and laid her hand on me as well, and, we were, and, I, and, and, and I, I was praying. I, I mean, I was just consumed. So that ended, snot and tears and everywhere. So I went off to Bible study, and uh, when I came home, for the first time in weeks and months, my dad was sitting at the dining room table eating. And from that day until the day he died, he never had a headache. He never went. He never lost his license. He never ever went for the appointments at the health science complex. It was a miracle. It was a gift of healing. And again, not because I'm any, <clears throat> any great saint or great person of faith. The Spirit of God came over me. And the Spirit of God came over him, and it was a gift of healing. It was profound. So let's go on. The, the, the second one here is working miracles. Now, understand that miracles can include healing, but does not always have to. Miracles are best defined as the inbreaking of God or the intervention of God into a, in, that breaks the pattern of physical and natural laws. It's a miracle. And those things happen. And then the next one is faith. And of course, faith is that situation that I said a moment ago, that faith is this idea. When the gift of faith is expressed, it's not this kind of thing, you know, where you think in your head and do this head game. You know, if I have the faith as, you know, like a mustard seed or, you know, if I just believe, you know, you don't go through the head games, right? The gift of faith is this. The gift of faith is simply this. It is faith, not that God can do something, but faith that he will. And I walked away from that night with my dad and I knew that I knew that I knew that something had changed. The gift of faith. And then we come to the vocal gifts, which the vocal gifts are problematic. And I, and I, 
I, I want to be gentle here and I want to be careful here because I understand that there are people that are uncomfortable with the working of the Spirit and tongues and interpretation and prophecy. And you come to a service and it happens and, and you're not sure about it. So for all of you that are non-Pentecostals or you're new to Pentecostalism and, and you're not sure, I just want you to know that I feel your pain. I understand. I don't understand where you're at, but I do appreciate where you're at. Now, so when we talk about tongues, what we're talking about here is the, that God is speaking through a person, through a language that is unfamiliar to the speaker. A language that is unfamiliar to the speaker. In Acts chapter 2, it talks about that when the day of Pentecost came, they spoke, and they spoke through, uh, in tongues by the enablement or the utterance of the Holy Spirit because tongues is resident in God. Now, there's a whole thing about Acts 2 that I'm not going to get in, and we need to be careful not to confuse Acts chapter 2 and what's happening in 1 Corinthians. Now, so there are a few things in the body of Christ that create more dissension and is more problematic than the gift of tongues. First of all, there, when it comes to tongues, there are those of us who accept it. In other situations, it can be divisive. And in other situations, some people are suspicious about it. And I get that, and I, I'm, I'm aware of that. But I'm working from the assumption today that we are in the category of being accepting, that we are acceptance, that we have acceptance of the Holy Spirit. Now, we'll talk about the authenticity of tongues in a, in a day, some other day, but not today. There are 30 references in the New Testament, direct and indirect, to speaking in tongues. Now, when we talk about tongues, there's two things you've got to keep in, keep in mind. First of all, there is what we refer to as the public expression of tongues, tongues that is used for public worship. And then there is private tongues, tongues that we use in our own private lives. And so um, on a regular basis, I pray in tongues, and I'm not looking for an interpreter because I'm praying to God, and I don't need an interpreter. As Paul says, my spirit and my faith are encouraged, and I don't really know what I'm praying, but I'm praying in tongues. Now, that's different. And what we're talking about here is the public usage of tongues. When there is a message in tongues that is given in a service, there must always follow the interpretation. Now, when we're talking about tongues, there's a couple of things we need to keep in mind. The message must always be edifying and encouraging. And further, it must be Godward. So one of the questions that always come up is this. Can anyone give a message in tongues? Now, let me back up and say this. Of the nine gifts of the Spirit that are resident in God in our text today, eight of those are available to anybody in the body of Christ. Anybody. Eight of the nine. And here's why. Because we know that eight of the nine gifts of the Spirit in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 has also been used in the Old Testament. Now, I'll add that if you have had the Acts chapter 2 experience, then you're probably going to be more open and susceptible to it, but that's a whole other conversation. The only one that you will not be able to exercise is the gift of tongues because the gift of tongues is from Acts chapter 2 is different than all of the other gifts of the Spirit. So, I'm going to leave that there, and I know you've got lots of questions. If you do, you can contact me. But any time in a service 
when there is a message in tongues, as I said a moment ago, when Dr. Leanne gave the message in tongues this morning, I can probably tell you that there were two or three, four, five, ten, fifteen people that were willing to give a message in tongues because the Spirit of God was prompting them as well. But Dr. Leanne went for it and was available and obedient. Now, one of the things you need to understand that when it comes to speaking in tongues, it is somewhat problematic. And I'll get to that in just a second. But if you'll notice that when we give a message in tongues in a public service, someone asked me once and said, why is it always in the first person? Well, it shouldn't be in the first person. Because if I, someone gives a message in tongues and I come back and say, I, the Lord, I am not the Lord your God. I might think I am sometimes, but I'm not. We need to be saying words like, the Lord is saying to us today, or the Lord is saying to you today, this first one is better than the second one. Now, but the gift of tongues in our text is also a sign for unbelievers. Now, this is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 22. He says that tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. Unbelievers. And the point is that people will come in, they'll, we sort of think, you know, and, and, and uh, we sort of think that, uh, you know, we're in a service and we've got some new people coming to church and, you know, we don't want to upset the apple cart. And so, you know, God, if you can just not have anybody speak in tongues today, that'd be really great. Because we're embarrassed. Because we're not sure what to do with it, and so we kind of think to ourselves, you know what, let's, 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 keep it, let's keep the low down on the speaking in tongues thing. And the Bible tells us that when people come in and they say, whoa, what is this message, what is this tongues thing and message in tongues and interpretation, all of a sudden their interest is piqued. Their curiosity is piqued. And all of a sudden they're asking these questions, but wow. And Paul goes on to say, he says, that they'll, they'll note that the Spirit of God is among you. And that's what Paul talks about there. And there's more to be said there. Interpretation, of course, and uh, I'm, I'm moving right along quickly. There's so much more things I could say. The interpretation of tongues is just the English in our situation. If you're in a French church, it would be French. If you're in an Italian church, it would be Italian. But in our church, it's English, and so the interpretation comes in English. But if you'll notice sometimes, for those of you who have been around a bit, you'll notice that there's sometimes a long message in tongues and a very short English interpretation, or it's a very short message in tongues, and it's a very long English interpretation. Well, one of the things that happens there is this, that interpretation is not translation. Translation is word for word. Interpretation is the communication of a thought. All right? And then the last one, of course, is prophecy. And prophecy is really, when we understand prophecy, two things you need to keep in mind. First of all, that we're not talking about Old Testament prophecy. It's not foretelling the future. It's not prediction. That prophecy here, in my opinion, prophecy is equal to tongues and interpretation together. For example, and Dr. Lee and I hope it's okay to say this because I don't want to embarrass you or... Uh, say that you're wrong because you weren't, but Dr. Leanne this morning could have given the English version of the message in tongues without the tongues. And that would have been a prophecy. It's the only difference. Does that make sense? Okay, I know that we're out of time, and i got to move on. So I will do part two next week. Let's stand together.
You're very quiet. <laughs> Never mind. Let's pray. I was just going to get myself in trouble. Father, you are faithful. We love you. We love to worship. We love to see our children and our grandchildren grow and commit again afresh anew to Christ, like in the dedication today. Thank you for the work and ministry of the Holy Spirit and through the working of gifts today. Thank you for the Word of God. Lord, I pray that you would help us, even those of us that are new to Pentecostalism, those of us that are uncertain about this whole tongues thing. Lord, that you would help us to just open our hearts and open our minds and to trust you, who, are, who is incredibly faithful. We love you because you first loved us. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.